The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the Chris and Joe Show, presented to you by SB Nation and Big Blue View. I'm Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum, and we're going to be breaking down the Giants' loss to the Buffalo Bills yesterday, 28-14. to A pretty big struggle for the Giants in, in their performance in a number of different ways. And we're going to get right to that and breaking down the various things that didn't work, and also some of the things that did work and did look well. But first, before we get to that, Chris, we're going to take a look at some of the storylines that came from this game, the biggest headlines, and the first one is one that might not have a ton of attention on it right now, but it will probably towards the end of the week, is that Cody Latimer suffered a concussion, and obviously he'll have to go through the concussion protocol, very similar to Sterling Shepard, and ended up catching it a little bit early, but this Giants receiving core just continues to deplete, continues to shrink, continues to get smaller with less and less talented guys. What kind of impact do you think this is going to have on the performance in the passing game? Uh, potentially a huge one. If the Giants can't get Sterling Shepard back, TJ Jones is basically their number one receiver right now. I don't know if he'll be number one in their progressions or number one on their death chart, but he's definitely their best receiver, at least based on one week. And just as we've seen, if you can't throw the ball, the Giants can't get those yards through the air. The offense just spins its wheels. They cannot capitalize on the gains Saquon Barkley makes. They'll, they've been racking up yards, but those just have not been translating into points. And they need the passing game to make that happen. It really looked like they were struggling at times, especially once Cody Latimer was out and gone. There were really no opportunities to move the ball through the air. But if you're just taking a quick look at what receivers are left, it's Benny Fowler, Russell Shepard, Cody Core. TJ Jones, and then Darius Slayton. So that's in no particular order, but still. That's not a all-star group right there. So there has to be some concern because we don't know if Sterling Shepard, how soon he's going to be back once he clears protocol. And then in addition to the fact that Golden Tate is still suspended for two more games. So the other headline is one that, another thing that I feel like a lot of people won't draw a lot of attention to, is that Aldrich Rosas, who was an all-pro kicker last season and a pro bowler, ended his streak of 20 consecutive field goal attempts on a pretty much a chip shot for him considering his distance that he is capable of hitting on a 48-yarder. Are you are you at all worried about 
him missing that kick, or do you think it's just it had to happen eventually? I think it's a case of it had to happen eventually. Based on his first season, there I think there will always be that in the back of your mind. You know, what if 2018 was kind of an aberration, and he'll go back to being an inconsistent kicker? But I think he has just been so consistent over 2018 and then through the preseason, this, the beginning of this season. I'm not going to be worried until he actually gives us something to worry about. The, the one thing I noticed from that kick that he ended up missing is that it, it really wasn't a ton on him. So I'm not going to be, like you said, I'm not that concerned. If I were just to kind of analyze what happened there, it, it the snap was high. It threw off his timing a little bit. And if you ask any kicker, if the, if the ball is high, they're going to hesitate a little bit and their steps are not going to be as clean in that situation. But I didn't really see anything on his end that, that was really affecting the kick and why it ended up going wide left. It would just look like a mishit, nothing egregious in that situation. So like you said, I'm not really ultimately that concerned with him missing that kick and ending his streak. It had to happen eventually. You know, even the best kickers in NFL history had to have to eventually miss on some kicks. So, Chris, we're going to go right into this and breaking down how this game looked offensively and defensively. And why don't you give us what your first positive was from the game? No, I'm actually going to go to Eli Manning. He did not have a great game. I'm not really going to put the two interceptions on him. The first one, it was a tip drill. The offensive line couldn't really sustain a block. I think it might have been either... It it was one of the interior linemen. I rewatched the game, but I didn't know exactly which one couldn't sustain the block. The ball got tipped up. Ed, Ed Oliver came down with it. Those happen. The second interception was... Eli trying to make something happen late in the game down two scores. Again, there wasn't really anybody open. He tried to give his receivers a chance to make a play and wound up throwing into triple coverage. You'd at least hope, though, and it is a positive that he was looking downfield, but you'd at least hope that they would have connected a little bit more um, than they were doing. So hopefully, if they can build on that and try and make some some deeper throws and get some more splash plays that'll be more impactful for this offense. Yeah, you know, last week we saw Eli throw basically five yards or less every time, you know, two yards short of the stick every time. This week, his average attempt was eight and a half yards downfield. His average completion was six and a half yards downfield. And he actually threw past the first down marker on average. That is a significant improvement over what we saw last year and what we saw last week. We'll have to wait and see whether or not that sticks, whether or not that stays in the offense, and they keep with keep up that willingness to look downfield. But just in the passing game, that's where the that's where the value is, right, right around that ten to fifteen yard downfield area. So the more the Giants look there, the better. Uh, there are other parts as to why it didn't show up on the box score and the passing game just did not look good. But that in and of itself is a good thing. I think another positive that did end up coming out of this game, and we touched upon it in the quick takes and we briefly discussed it, but we'll take a, quick, a bit more of a deeper look at this, was that loading the box actually might be an advantage for this team and in their run game for Saquon Barkley because – There were a lot of instances where they were loading the box and they were able to get some pretty big chunk running plays early in the first quarter. They were getting some, you know, 15 plus yard gains, but a little bit later in the game, 
getting some first downs on some of those situations. But the most notable one that stuck out to me was that uh, 27-yard touchdown run that Saquon had in the first quarter on his first run for a score in the season, which was they loaded the box, everyone crashed down on the defense, and it was either a called misdirection play or it was just a very intelligent cutback from Saquon. So he read that and he cut back the other way and everyone was so far going to the left of the of the offensive line that there was literally no one there to stop him and he just ran past everyone which is he which is he he is completely capable of doing on any given play. I don't want to say exactly what kind of play it was, what the call was especially without having the coach's tape available, the end zone view of the all 22. I think it was a counter off of the outside zone, but I'm not sure. But yeah, that was that one was a well-designed play, great read by Barkley, and of course, give him a sliver of daylight. He's going to do what he's going to do. Now, turn on the Jets and out-athlete a whole bunch of elite athletes. Yeah, you got to find ways to get him more involved, and it seemed like they were a little bit more committed to that yesterday. Hopefully, we see some more long runs from him if he's going to be most of the scoring output for the Giants this season. Chris, what was the, the final positive that you, you really noticed in this game? Uh, this was something we mentioned in our previous podcast, just that Evan Ingram and TJ Jones were able to get separation. They were the only receivers who were able to get separation, but they actually got away from defenders. They gave Eli passing windows and expanded the windows just to really give the Giants an opportunity to get something done in the passing game. And I mentioned before how the Giants looking downfield was a good thing, but the reason it didn't really work was all of the other receivers were not getting separation. So I think that means really that Engram and Jones probably should be the lead receiving targets, at least until Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate comes back. And also Saquon Barkley, but the Giants insist on not giving him really any any looks as a wide receiver. They didn't really incorporate TJ Jones until the end of the game. I think it was more so after Cody Latimer got hurt that they started to give him some more snaps at receiver. But he honestly shined in those situations. He looked pretty good. You, you said it perfectly that he was able to generate separation. And ultimately, he was able to catch a touchdown because of it. So maybe they need to experiment with getting him some more opportunities and some more touches because I think they don't really understand or they didn't really understand going into this game that potentially they do have some type of diamond in the rough. You know, he's not going to end up having 70 plus catches in a thousand yards. But if he can be a change of pace guy that you can throw in there to get some fresh legs in and, and pick up those yardage and get that separation on third down or whatever you might need him to, he can be used as a pretty good weapon. Right now, I think that's about the best the Giants can hope for, especially for a guy they picked up originally late in the summer, cut him. Amazingly, he was still available to be re-signed in the emergency. And to have somebody like that come in and actually give you a little glimmer of hope is, is a good thing to come from this game. Now they just need to build on that, really. Yeah, but essentially keep building off of that because right now there are some huge question marks with how this receiver position is starting to look. So, Chris, what was the first negative, albeit that there were probably a lot of them? What was your first negative that you noticed? I'm going to start up front with the offensive line. Yeah, the Giants' first drive, first drive and a half, were really solid. Eli had great protection. The offensive line were was opening holes for Saquon Barkley. That was great. But then 
kind of towards the second half of their second drive and definitely from the third drive onward, the Bills were putting the Giants' offensive line on roller skates more often than not. Kevin Zeitler is not healthy. You know, we saw him go down. He had a, has a shoulder injury of some sort. It was on the injury report during the week. He was, I guess, according to the on-field reporters, screaming in pain at one point in the game. That's not good. Shoulder injuries for linemen suck. Yeah, especially because you need to, you know, be able to rely on your shoulders to make clean blocks. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to be able to generate the power and just transmit it to your hands and get it into the defender. Otherwise, you know, you're basically stuck with the Eric Flowers, Patrick Omame leaning with your sh- leaning with your shoulder itself and you're not going to make any blocks that way. But even beyond Zeitler, Will Hernandez was getting pushed back. He was he did not have a good game. There were times when Jalapio looked just plain overmatched. Mike Rummers is pretty clearly the weak link on the offensive line, and Nate Solder is Nate Solder. There are snaps where he'll will, he will look really good, and then there are snaps where he will look really bad. All in all, this was not a great showing from the offensive line, especially on the rewatch when you can slow it down and get a good look at what really happened. Certainly a lot of mistakes that came from them, but it, it, it seemed like when Leslie Frazier, the Bills defensive coordinator, started dialing up a lot of blitzes, it just caused a lot of fits for them. It, it, they seemed confused. They weren't really uh, clean in picking everything up. Um, so ultimately, this defense was effective in doing their job, which is creating issues for the offensive line and allowing them to essentially shoot themselves in the foot. Um, I, I think a couple of these quarterback pressures that led to bad plays on third downs were because of just not cleanly picking up blitzes and allowing free defenders to get in and get a hand on Eli Manning. Especially on those third downs, the offense just seemed lost. Eli was playing from muddy pockets. There were times when he had to get out and scramble, which for Eli Manning is never a good thing. When he was scrambling, the receivers looked a little confused as to what was actually happening. Again, you know, you generally don't expect Eli to try to buy time and extend the plays, but still, it's the receiver's job to try to work themselves open. And then the play calls were, we'll say, questionable. And even though the team did try to look downfield, there were too many plays where even on like a three, a third and three, routes were, were run like a yard beyond the line of scrimmage. You're not going to convert third downs like that. One thing that really did st- stick out from this game was just how incapable they were, uh, how incapable of being productive on third down they were. And we, we said this in the quick takes show, but they were really just sitting ducks at, at points in time because there was no creativity. There were, um, you know, too many short passing concepts with not a lot of routes that were being run beyond the sticks. Obviously, there were some plays that did result in first downs from those those route concepts, but you you just noticed that they were running a lot of shallow routes in front of the first down marker. You're not going to get first downs that way even if you complete those passes because defenses are going to be very quick to react and, and very quick to get, get up and make a tackle. The defenses around the league have had well over a year's worth of tape at this point. They know the Giants' tendencies. They are just going to swarm towards the ball. They're going to try to keep it in front of them and then come downhill. And that's really what we saw when the Giants went for the short passes. And unless it was basically Saquon Barkley making two or three defenders miss and then somehow magicking nine yards out of a short pass, 
they didn't really go for much. I think one other thing that goes in line with that is just they've been overly predictable on third down. In addition, all these short passing concepts and hoping that you get some uh, yards after catch, it, it just didn't seem like they were doing anything different and straying away from their typical play calling in those situations. One thing that really boggles my mind is why they don't try to run some draw plays on those third and five or shorter, because we've seen the very few times that they do run those draw plays that Saquon is able to pick up a 10-yard gain. Maybe try and do that every once in a while because, again, you have the most athletic running back in the league. He's going to be able to find a first down either way. At least worst case, you could feel better about not getting that first down if you at least tried something different and put something different on tape. Absolutely, and the more different things you put on tape, the more things defenses have to be aware of, the more things they have to study. You just can catch them looking right and go left. Yeah, you really hope, though, that they do find some more ways to be creative and throw off some of these these other teams that are going to be playing down the road because right now it's really not cutting it on those third down situations. So before we take a look at the defensive game for the Giants and some of the positive and negatives for them, we're going to take a very brief commercial break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, so we're going to take a look now on how the defense performed. And going right into it, Chris, what were some of the positives that you saw from this game? Uh, The Giants got pressure. We mentioned that in our quick take show. That was something they really did not do at all in the first week. But they got three sacks. There was a fourth one that on a play that didn't happen because of a penalty. The Giants were actually able to get into the backfield, force Josh Allen off of his spot, they weren't able to really capitalize on that pressure, but they at least got it, which is a step in the right which is a step in the right direction. Yeah, we were talking about putting things on tape, and if if they're able to at least show that they can generate that pressure, they can build on that going forward. And also, it adds another level for opposing offenses to have to scheme around. But I was very pleased with how they were able to create pressure with blitzes in the second half. Really, what you're looking for when you create and design and dial up a really good blitz is to just create some confusion and some mismatches with the offensive line. Maybe they don't realize that they need to pick somebody up and somebody comes free. That's what you're really looking for. And they were able to do that in a couple of situations where they either created pressure or they were able to get a sack and and take down one of the more elusive quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, there was one play where Allen was able to where they flushed Allen out of the pocket, but he was able to kind of run away from them and scramble and make a nice throw. 
but it was really only that one play. Other times they were able, they got him out, they forced him to move, and the ball for the most part fell incomplete in those situations. So that at least is a positive for the defense. Also, I want to give one guy in particular some credit, and that's Dalvin Tomlinson. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of film on him lately, and honestly, I think he might be the Giants' best and most consistent defender. Nose tackles don't get a whole lot of love. He's the guy they take off the field on third downs of pass rushing situations, but he was getting a great push all game long. He was driving one-on-one matchups back into the backfield. He was even doing that against the Cowboys in week one. There were a few times he just ate Travis Frederick's lunch. He still has great leverage, great hand usage. He can stand up double teams. He never goes backwards. And if the Giants get a stop in the backfield, you usually see number 94 right there in the thick of the action, even if he doesn't get the tackle. His performance and his development really does put into perspective why maybe they got rid of Damon Harrison and they decided to move on from him because he's really only gotten better. He's a big body in the middle of the field. And like he said, exactly what you want from a nose tackle just continually clogging up holes with his big body and his reach and his ability to anchor in and not allow things to move. Hopefully he continues to get better and develop because right now he he looks very, very promising in the middle of that defense. So Chris, some of the negatives though, and there were a couple of negatives that really changed the uh, the performance of this game and ultimately led to the loss for the Giants. What was the first one that really stuck out? Uh, just overall, the secondary. We heard from Janoris Jenkins in the locker room. He is not a happy camper right now. He is frustrated and letting people know. But he's got reason to be frustrated. We saw the Giants just not able to cover tight ends. There were a few times where Dawson Knox being very, very unpolished saved the Giants from bad plays where he would have a step on whoever was covering him and the ball would just bounce off of his hands or slip through them, and the Giants would be saved from giving up yet another 10, 15-yard gain to a tight end. But we noted in the quick take show, DeAndre Baker just looked lost out there. I am not having my concerns for Antoine Bethea's athleticism and range really eased at all. Watching him run and try to cover ground is almost painful at this point. I noticed, especially in the beginning of the game, the Giants playing a lot more uh, too deep safeties, I think, to try to limit how much re- how much ground he has to cover. That does take away a potential blitzer or another guy in the box to help defend the run. So there's a give and a take. Hopefully, maybe Julian Love will develop at free safety and they'll get a chance to maybe play him back there and move Bethea up to the box where he had a good season last year for the Cardinals. The one major thing, and you, you, you hit it in your uh, in your take right there, was that DeAndre Baker is starting to look like he is lost out there. And I think it's just really a case of that they're throwing too much at him. He looks confused. Um, he looks like he's guessing at times. I just think he doesn't fully grasp and understand this defense yet, which is kind of an issue because it's leading to a lot of his mistakes. He needs to spend a lot more time you know, watching some more tape, spend some more time with uh, with Betcher and, and learning this thing because that's really stunting his progression and growth. I understand, and we've said this, is that there's a huge learning curve um, in the progression of cornerbacks, and it's, it's going to take some time. But 
mental mistakes and errors can definitely be fixed and and worked out early on. That doesn't require any talent to know where you have to be and to know the play alignment and also know your assignment. He has the talent. He just is not in the right position. No, and it, it seems sometimes like he isn't sure where his help is. You know, whether or not he has bracketed coverage or if there's going to be safety help over the top or whether or not a guy in his zone is his responsibility or if he has to let that player go and pass him off to another defender. Those are things he has to be able to tighten up. The one thing that epitomizes, I think, his lack of understanding and his confusion was the one play, and I don't know if you remember this play, Chris, was where um, it was like third and third and 10, I believe, and Cole Beasley ran a go route. And it looked like DeAndre Baker was covering him in his zone, but for some reason he turns his back to Cole Beasley and goes and covers a guy that already has somebody on him. I don't remember which safety it was. It might have been Antoine Bethea, but he essentially left his zone to go pick up a guy that was going towards the middle of the field when it was pretty apparent that he had the outside zone, especially considering there was no one even close to being able to make a play on Cole Beasley. So you really saw it there that he doesn't understand you know who who has uh, who has his back who who is um, who he can lean on to help him in those situations, uh, and and who's going to come in and provide that help. So he just needs to spend some more time learning how to how to do the right things, and hopefully this game starts to slow down for him. Yeah, definitely, and I think Betcher can help him out by maybe letting him play a little bit more man corner, press man corner. They might be trying to save him from having to deal with bigger, more athletic receivers. But at least in college, his game was really kind of built on being able to disrupt routes and then using his ball skills and instincts to stick with guys. So maybe the Giants should look at trying to incorporate that a little bit more, even if it means calling mixed coverages and basically relying on some of the other players to pick up the slack and help cover for the rookie. The final negative that we really had here, and it's more just of a take, was that you, you noticed that the in the first half, this defense struggled tremendously. They allowed 21 points, and that essentially dug them a hole big enough for them not to come back into because they weren't able to move the ball on offense. But suddenly in the second half, they figured their, their stuff out and – only allowed one touchdown, and they looked very, very good in what we've said about creating pressure, not allowing Josh Allen to escape the pocket, all of those things. So ultimately, this game was decided by by two different performances, basically from two different defenses in two different halves. Yeah, it seemed like just before the first half, they might have gotten something figured out. Maybe somebody saw something in the Bills' offense, and then they made one of those halftime adjustments, and it worked out. It worked out well. The Bills did have one long drive at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and that really put the game out of reach. But it was those three drives in the middle of the first half that dug them a hole they just could not get out of. The offense wasn't good enough to play catch-up, and the defense just isn't consistent enough to give the offense enough chances to hopefully have a big play or string something together, maybe convert a third down. All in all, yeah, it, it was a tale of two halves, and the Giants just are not going to win games like that. Hopefully that second half defense is the one that shows up. 
right away for their next game. But that's going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in, as always. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you're listening to us on. And also, feel free to drop us a review or any type of feedback you want to give us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you might want to hear a little bit more about. You can also tweet at us. Uh, the Big Blue View Twitter is at Big Blue View, and the Instagram is at Big underscore Blue underscore View. Like I said, that's going to be it from us, folks. Thank you for tuning in.